You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Garnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 12th, episode 3,321. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge... You're an endurance rider. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for this endurance episode for December, our last one for the year. Already? It went by so fast. I know. We've been been doing this a long time, too. So um, We have. Another year of endurance. Thank you for doing this again this year. We really appreciate it. Are you quitting in January or are you going to come back? Oh, we'll keep doing it. All right. All right. Just checking. Yeah. I mean, there's still a whole lot. I mean... There's so many interesting people to talk to and to interview and topics to cover. And so much so. to learn. We're going to be doing that today. So today on the show, uh, Karen's going to do her endurance tip. And what are you talking about today? Today later. I'm going to talk about uh, vital signs and how important it is to get familiar with all of your horse's vital signs and what they should be. And that's true for all riding, not just endurance, even trail riding, right? So Anybody with yeah. an equine. That's uh-huh. right. And then we have a couple of guests. We have Laura coming on today, and she's an endurance rider and an equine nutritionist. And we're going to chat with her, and she's going to talk about best practices for worming endurance horses. I don't, we haven't talked about worming in a while. And then uh, Amy's coming on, and she's a ride manager of a new ride. Uh, we're going to learn about her new ride coming up as well. So uh, let's get started talking about you. You did a ride with Jovi. uh, And how many rides have you done? Well, we had a, it turned out to be a pretty decent season. It was sort of like his first, you know, ride season that he's had. And it went pretty well overall. He completed a ride in time. Um, The last ride we did was a 50. It was his first 50. And he did two LDs, uh, 150, one ride and tie, a few Nita rides, and two parades. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a busy year. Yeah, that's great. So you did a Christmas parade, right? Don't do you do that every year? We do weather permitting, um, and we were able to do it this year and last year. So which town is so- it? It's the Sparks Hometown Christmas Parade, and Sparks is right next to Reno, for those that don't know. Sounds huge, Sparks. In northern Nevada. I'm guessing Sparks is not the most populated town in the world. I'm not sure it's growing. It's really, really (laughs) growing. Um, Because we've got Tesla and Panasonic Uh, and a lot of these other big manufacturing companies. You're becoming a tech corridor, aren't you? Exactly. And so um, what surprised me with the parade this year, because, you know, it takes place in December, so it's kind of cold. um, But there were so many people there. I mean, both sides of the streets were just line full of people, like five and 10 deep. And 
so many kids and everybody was smiling and happy. It was just a, you know, neat way to kind of, you know, finish off, you know, 2023, seeing so many happy people having fun and being outside, even though it was cold, everybody just bundled up and our horses had a great time and everything went really well. It was How a lot of fun. How many units were there? You know, I'm not entirely sure they have, you know, the vaqueros that do the dancing horses, and then they usually have some of the police horses, and then our group of the Arabians, um, and they kind of spread us out so that we don't always see the other groups. Uh, so, so how was your horse? He did really well. Yeah. He This was the sec. he's done four parades now, the first two Last year, we put him in the very back of the group. And then this year, somehow, he managed to end up in the lead on both of these parades. And so he ended up in the front. And he seems to like it there. It's That's the cool thing this whole last year is seeing this horse transform and become so confident and and willing. He wants to go. He wants to be in the front. And he's not spooky. He's He's just been, he's turned out to be just a really wonderful, fun horse that I feel really safe on now, which if you had asked me this a year ago, I might have had a different answer. <laughs> it's interesting, too. A lot of people so, think parades that the crowds and all that's going to be the worst part. What's the worst part is when you get there, there's a ton of waiting usually. And that's the was, hard part. <laughs> that was, we were, you know, our group has gotten more and more efficient because it's the same people doing it. And so we're getting a little more efficient at getting ready and getting everything together. We got to staging and we literally waited two hours. I know. Isn't that awful? And keeping the horses. And it was was just the longest two hours, you know. And Um, the bands are practicing and the floats are banging. (laughs) Exactly. And there's, you know, music and um balloons popping and just all sorts of things going on and uh but it's great training for a horse i mean you it really is because they just can't really focus on any one thing because there's so much going on like like we were stationed in our staging at the corner of a like a four-way intersection and so people and all the different entries were lined up on every single side street all around. And so the horses just, they just settle in and they handle it really well. But there's not any one thing that they can just, you know, focus on. So you also, uh, you got a couple new horses that we talked to last time. And what is it? What are their names again? Um, one is named St. Croix and the other one is Midnight Cowboy because right. he was born at midnight. Uh, so it's Saint and Cowboy, right? I'm Saint assuming. and Cowboy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And uh, I've been riding Saint. I've been on him about seven or eight times. I've had him out on the trail um, doing the positive reinforcement training. Yeah. And by the way, for those listening, the Horse Radio Network has a whole series of clicker training 101 and they are really great to go listen to. I've been listening to those and also watching videos and, and practicing with the, they call it R plus, which is basically positive reinforcement training. And it's been going really, really well. Um, the yeah. horses are both progressing uh, really nicely and everything's coming along. 
the thing I have found, I, I think using this positive reinforcement and the clicker training is that it helps the horses become a lot more confident. Like each horse will watch me do a lesson with one of the others and then they want to come and it's almost like they want to show the other horse up <laughs> and say, I, I can do that. <laughs> I can do that better than the other one. And it's building their confidence when I'm teaching them to go up to different objects and not be afraid. And then they get a positive reinforcement out of that. They're becoming really confident. I got to tell you, Shona did a great job with that series. And I think she's looking at coming back next year and doing part two. Because um, it's oh, like good. 50 episodes there. And, and it was the first time we experimented with doing live training. In other words, you you actually listen to the podcast while you're doing the things she's uh-huh. telling you to do. And uh, the response we got from it was excellent. People love that series. Uh, so, yeah. So that's Equine Clicker 101. is still on all podcast players. Go check that out. All right. Let's get to your endurance tip for the month. Okay. Uh, um, and we're going to talk today about checking things on your horse, the vital signs, the important thing. Now, again, as I said earlier, this applies to any horse. This is not just endurance horses. Exactly, exactly. And it's good to know this, you know, and I got a reminder, it's been about a month now, um, that the neighbor's grandkids were tossing apples over to my horses. And I didn't really realize it because it was in the back corner and I can't see from the house. But I did look on my barn camera and I could see the apples all over the ground inside my paddocks going, how did those get there? Well, I caught the kids doing it. Well, it caused one of the horses to get some runny poops because <laughs> the kids were trying to lure the horses over, right? You eat a lot of sugar, that happens. <laughs> Just, yeah, it, too many apples for anybody yeah. is going to cause a little bit of a disruption. So that's when I realized, you know, um, I really need to get more familiar with these new horses. So I got out my index cards, which I've always kept in the barn, and I write down periodically all the stuff that I need to know so I know what their vitals are at rest, which is really important. So the things that are important to check is you want to be able to check your horse's heart rate, which typically should be at rest between 28 and 44 beats per minute. But you want to get familiar with that so you know what is normal so that if when something isn't normal, you're, you know, you know, and then you can, you know, take steps to remedy that. Um, You want to check respiration, which is usually 10 to 24 breaths per minute, but get familiar with how your horse is breathing. Check the temperature, which should be between 99 and 101.5. But get familiar, like I said, because some horses, they might be at either end of that. And then if they get just a little bit elevated, then you know to keep an eye on them. Gut sounds are a good thing to learn how to check using a stethoscope and to check all four quadrants. And if you're not sure how to do this um, and don't have anybody that you can ask, you can go to uh, the AERC YouTube channel and look up AERC Um, The Education Committee has put out several videos and they have videos showing how to do a lot of that stuff and how it's done during a vet check on an endurance ride because the ride vets will check all four quadrants on your horse during the ride. Uh, You want to be able to check your horse's skin tinting 
and you want the skin, when you check the skin on the point of the shoulder, you grab it and you pinch it and you pull it out and you want it to snap back and have some um, elasticity to it. So it snaps back within one to three seconds. But again, get familiar with that so that if it's going back real slow, that could indicate your horse is dehydrated. And the same for checking gums. You lift up your horse's lip and you press your thumb against the um your horse's gums and you want to see the skin color come right back to pink fairly fast so basically those are most of the important things but you just want to go over your whole horse you know get them familiar with you checking and touching and, and handling them all over so that if they need a vet to do it or you go to an endurance ride and the vet does a vet check to vet you in during the ride. Your horse needs to know how to be handled and accept having their, you know, gums and skin tinting and the uh, stethoscope placed on him. You know, um, the next the next step that I'm going to be doing with my new horses is I'm going to be working on teaching them how to trot out and back because that's also an important thing that'll help tell you if there's, you know, um, you can do a CRI, which we've talked about on the show where you check your heart rate initially and then you trot out and back and check it again. And that will tell you if uh, the horse is stressed, if the heart rate goes back up or if it comes right back down to where it was or lower. So those are all, you know, really good things to learn to check. Also kind of pay attention to how your horse is, you know, how the manure looks. That's how I finally figured out that those kids were tossing apples into my horses is I, um, when I picked up manure that morning, it, it was more like a cow pie. And so I knew, well, oh shoot, which horse did this? <laughs> so then I, I was following the horses around trying to wait for the next one to poop to see if I could figure out which one, um, you know, had something going on. And not only did he have the runny poops, but his temperature was about a degree and a half higher than normal. So did you have a word with the uh, naughty children? I did. <laughs> and in fact, that's when I actually invited them to come over. <laughs> and because, you know, they're just kids. Yeah, and, know you know, they, they don't. And they had a lot of fruit on their side of the fence and they just wanted to see the horses. So I just had them all over and I, there were three of them and I gave them all a brush and got the horses out, and they got I got some free grooming out of it, and they got an education. <laughs> well, that's a good way to handle it rather than just yelling at them. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, so. that was the better way to handle it. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, cool. Anything else? No, I think we covered it. I, those were all the important things. And like I said, uh, AARC has a good uh, – education channel on YouTube where you can go and look up a lot of the videos that explain and show how to do some of these things. Very good. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate it. Next up, we're going to go to Kristen over at uh, Distance, the Distance Depot to talk about what's going on over there just in time for Christmas. Well, next up, we have Kristen from the Distance Depot who is joining us to tell us about a great big sale they've got that starts today. <laughs> right, Kristen? Yes. Good morning. Yes, we're calling it our Slayer Holiday Sale. Um, <laughs> and 
Um, it, so it, it's kind of a later Christmas sale, but we're doing 15% off and um, there'll be a couple of brands that generally um, aren't discounted that we've snuck in there as well. Um, and we also have some, a couple of garments. Um, this time of year, Garmin um, allows us to drop the minimum advertised price. And um, this month, I can't remember how long it goes for. I think it's on our website, but the 225 uh, Forerunner and the 955 Solar Forerunner are both $50 off. So for a limited time, they'll you'll be able to save $50 on those. And of course, you can get them with or without the heart rate monitor and the adapter kit. There's our phone line. Busy, busy, busy. That's good. It's Christmas. <laughs> we want to hear it ringing. That's right. Um, and of course, you know, if you're not exactly sure what your um, loved one or friend needs, um, we offer gift certificates as well. And you can print them out. So it's a great last minute thing that you don't have to worry. You know, is it going to arrive? Because this time of year, um, I'm still waiting on packages that I ordered a while ago. So, yeah, the the shipping companies are very overwhelmed. So shop early. I will say procrastinators. I will say gift certificates are horse husband approved. I have stamped them approved. Definitely. Can you tell us real quick, what do the garments do for those that are unfamiliar? (laughs) Um, well, the Garmin will track, and of course, Garmin makes products for runners and um, people who do triathl- triathlons and, um, you know, all kinds of things. So some of these watches, I know people get a little overwhelmed um, because they do have so many options and we don't use many of those. But the best things that they do, and we've, you know, we have our adapter kit that will adapt the human chest belt to pick up your horse's heart rate. So you can buy the wires and all of that to see your horse's heart rate while you ride, if you so choose. If you don't, the watches have great capabilities. Um, Some of them, the 955 more than likely will do elevation. It will tell you how far you went, how fast you traveled. Um, The big thing with these um, units is they something in the price range of a 955 you're going to be able to do 100 and not run out of battery life and have to try to somehow finagle to charge it up because that becomes difficult obviously out in the field and the solar um it it will charge um with the sun so that is a pretty useful thing for our riders until dark but (laughs) hopefully it's a sunny day (laughs) um so that is a nice feature of that um unit but yeah, they'll all tell you how fast you went, how far you traveled. That's nice to know um, at a time of day, of course. And then heart rate, if you so choose, as I say, to purchase our adapter kit to pick up the horse's heart rate. Pretty handy tools. And they're great for training. You can name sure. your, your mm-hmm. workouts. You know, if you have someone who has different horses, you can. Um, and they just upload right to your computer once you have it set up to do so. So you can see your workouts. You can track your training. They're very useful tools. If somebody was interested in getting one of these or buying a gift certificate, how would they get in touch with you? Well, they could call us toll free, um, 866-863-2349 or visit our website, um, peruse around. And then if you need help, give us a call. We're happy to help. Terrific. Thanks, Kristen. You can find all of those great products at thedistancedepot.com. And our next guest... Coming up is Laura Warden, who is an endurance writer and an equine nutritionist. She's going to be joining us to talk about the current best practices for deworming our endurance horses.
Oh, good morning, Laura. Thank you for joining us. And tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Uh, good morning. And um, I am actually a livestock agent for um, North Carolina Cooperative Extension. Um, I work in Gaston County, which is one of 101 counties. And there's an extension office in every all 101 counties in the state. And I'm also the acting interim county extension director. So I do a lot of HR, but my primary role is to work with livestock and horse owners on best management practices and, and nutrition and parasite and health-related topics. Wow, that sounds like it keeps you pretty busy. It sure does. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the worming um, classes of wormers and some of the resistance issues and where wherever it is you would like to start. That sure. Um, so I guess the best place to start is to talk about the three main um, anthelmintic drug classes that we have for horses, and um, that's all we have essentially is three. And then there's like a fourth um, class that's kind of unique because it's only found in combination drug classes or combination drugs. Um, but the three main drug classes that we have for horses um, are the benzimidazoles which uh, include fenbendazole and oxybendazoles. And uh, the easy way to remember them is that they, they end in zoles. And this particular drug class has been around the longest, um, I believe since the mid to early 1960s. And um, the, the common um, name brands that most horse owners would be familiar with this drug class would include Panicure, or the very commonly used Panicure Power Pack, which is a five-day mm -hmm. double dose by body weight of the of the fenbendazole. Safeguard is another one that's used for both horses and livestock, and it can also be used in the form of a power pack. And then oxybendazole, the one that we would be most familiar with, is anthocyte EQ. Um, like I said, this has been this drug class has been around the longest. But due to the fact that it has been around for such a long time, we are seeing the widest amount of resistance to this particular drug class, particularly when it comes to um, excuse me, small strongyles, which is the primary parasite of concern for most adult horses. Now, on the flip side, um, for young growing horses under the age of about two years, um, the primary parasite of concern is ascarids or roundworms. And actually, um, the benzimidazoles are actually the best um, choice of anthelmintic drug for, to specifically address the roundworms. Um, but the key there is knowing which drug you're using. So if you're using fenbendazole or Safeguard, you actually have to do a double dose by body weight. It's just one single dose at a double dose to specifically address ascarids okay. known as roundworms. Um, the other drug or the other parasite that um, we can still use this particular drug class for with a pretty decent efficacy is pinworms. Um, but that we're starting to show some resistance. So that is the drug class that's been around the longest. Um, okay. Then we have the pyrimidine salts, which is a paralytic drug. And that includes the two common ones that you would hear are pyrantel tartrate and pemoate. There's another one called, and I always get it wrong, I might mispronounce it, emboate, which is not as commonly used here, but is more common in um, overseas. The name brand that most of us would be familiar with this particular class is Strongit. 
And then the other one that we're commonly familiar with is the daily dewormers, which would be specifically the pyrantel tartrate. Um, now, as far as um, the efficacy and what this particular drug class is good for, because I failed to mention at the very beginning, there is no such thing as one one drug class that is good for all the major parasites that we deal with in horses. It's really specific to the parasite. Mm-hmm. So with this, with Strongid, um, we it's we're seeing a growing resistance to it again with um, with Strongiles, particularly small Strongiles. But we have a fairly decent efficacy again against um, or towards roundworms or ascarids. And the cool thing is, is if you are specifically trying to address tapeworms, you can use a double dose by body weight of Strongid and it will address tapeworms. However, there is some very new research that came out earlier this year that says we're starting to see a growing resistance to even treating effectively for tapeworms, which is a huge issue. Um, And then as far as daily dewormers that fall into this drug class, I would never use a daily dewormer ever. Um, As a matter of fact, we are the only country in the world that still has daily dewormers um, that are available. Just about every other country has banned them. And it's due to the widespread resistance. And basically why they're not good is because only daily dewormers only prevent the juvenile parasites from maturing. So they're not all that effective. If in without having a perfectly clean horse, which doesn't exist in the real world, daily dewormers are just going to add to the widespread resistance problem that we have. So okay. those that was one drugs, of my questions I wanted to ask you. So I'm glad you covered that. Yeah, and I know you did. So I wanted to make sure about that. The only the third class that's left is our newest drug class, and it's been around since the early 1980s. So it's not even that new. Um, and that includes the macrocyclic lactones. Um, the major drugs, drugs in this class are ivermectin and moxidectin. Most people would know them as like Zemectrin and Quest. Okay. These are particularly good for small strongiles, um, and they're particularly good for bots, so the bot larvae. And um, we can detect strongiles and ascarids with a fecal, but we cannot detect bots and other things like pinworms and tapeworms with a fecal test. So um, we typically say that you should probably deworm for bots and tapeworms near the end of your um, active transmission phase. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is, you know, if your horse is grazing out on pasture. So we would do it near the end of that grazing phase. So for me in North Carolina on the East Coast, it's going to be sometime in the fall. And so we really, we really want to use a drug class with an abaticide plus one that's effective against large and small strongiles. So the macrocyclic lactones, aka ivermectin and moxidectin, are very effective. That um, there is some recent research, however, that suggests that ivermectin might be might be slightly more effective towards controlling bots than moxidectin. Then, so that's just something to be cognizant of. Um, however. This particular drug class is showing widespread resistance to roundworms, which we refer to as ascarids, again, and pinworms. So, again, just emphasizing that there's no one particular drug class that is effective against all. And then the last thing is, is there is a fourth drug class called praziquantal, which you will only find in combination with the with either ivermectin or moxidectin. So you're going to see it as Zemectrin Gold, Equimax, or Quest Plus. Uh, 
And the praziquantel is to specifically address tapeworms, which again, we cannot detect with a fecal. And that really probably should be done one, at least once a year, typically in the fall. And okay. that pretty much well, it- covers the drug classes. Okay, let's um, just talk briefly about timing of a, your schedule. If you're competing regularly on an endurance horse and you're traveling and going to rides and it just so happens that it's now fall and you're due to do your worming, but you have a competition, what do you suggest for timing? Like, would you do it early or would you wait till after the competition um, you know, what's your advice there with the timing? Okay, so that's kind of tricky. Um, it depends mm-hmm. on how early. I probably would not deworm within two to three weeks of an event. Um, that's just me personally. I don't have any um, peer-reviewed evidence to substantiate that. I just would be a bit twitchy trying to do that so close to an event. Um Particularly um, if I had a horse with a high fecal count, I would be a little more concerned about causing some side effects that might not necessarily be good. Um, so if it were me, I would probably err on the side of caution. If, it's, if, if your timing was right before an event within two weeks, I would probably wait, do the event, and then probably wait, wait a couple more weeks afterwards mm-hmm. um, and make sure the horse is good and hydrated and recovered from the event before I would deworm. Um, and as far as timing, it's not going to make a difference if you wait three, four, five, or six weeks. Ultimately, it's more important that you deworm, but when you deworm, we can be a bit flexible on that. Okay. Well, let's now go on to talking about the fecal tests and fecal egg counts. So a fecal test require is, is, is where you require a horse owner to submit a, a fecal sample, a, like usually a handful of fecal balls, for um, someone like myself or a vet to um, do a fecal flow and look for the eggs. We're not looking for the adult larvae. We're looking for the eggs that the um, adult parasites in the body are shedding. And the whole point is is not to determine how many parasites your horse is actually carrying, there's no correlation, unfortunately, between egg counts and the number of um, parasites. So it's not for that. It's it's technically just to determine what kind of egg shedder the horse is, whether they're low, moderate, or high, and to try to come up with a deworming protocol based on what type of shedder they are. So we, we reduce the amount of parasites being put back out into the environment where other horses reside and potentially reinfecting those horses. So um, we would do a fecal. Um, we would classify a horse as a low shedder if we had less equal to or less than 200 eggs per gram. And those horses, depending on their environment, would need to be dewormed once possibly twice a year, again, depending on their situation. Moderate shedders would have a fecal count between 200 and 500 eggs per gram, and we would generally add one additional treatment during the appropriate time. And again, it's going to depend on where you live. For me, I would add, on on the East Coast and the Southeast, I would add that additional treatment in the winter. But if you're in the Midwest or the Northwest or somewhere out West where you get really, really harsh winters, it makes no sense to deworm in the winter. So you're probably going to want to add that additional treatment during the summer, during the active transmission phase there. 
And then for high shedders, that's going to be anything over 500 eggs per gram. And we may add one additional for a total of three or four treatments for that horse to make sure that we are trying to reduce the amount of eggs being put out back into the environment and potentially reinfecting other horses. That was great. Thanks, Laura. And um, I'll send you the link and tag you when this comes out. Thank you. I appreciate it. Our next guest is Amy Kreth, who is a new ride manager in the West region. And this is a new ride called the Lost Sierra. I'm really excited to see a new two-day ride in the West region. Last year, we had um, quite a big winter that caused a lot of trail damage. And so, so many rides were getting canceled. And the West region overall has lost a lot of rides over the last 10 years or so. So, it's nice to see this new ride as well as some other older rides being brought back because we really need to get some new rides on the calendar. And so uh, welcome, Amy, and thank you for managing this ride. Well, thank you for having me on. So tell us, where is the ride and what are the dates? All right. The ride is in Gray Eagle, California. So if you're curious about the area, you can look it up, grayeagle.com. That's G-R-A-E-A-G-L-E. And uh, the dates are August 3rd and 4th, 2024. So that's uh, the that's starting point. <laughs> okay. And it's a 25 and a 50 each day? Yes. And an intro. Okay. And an intro. Oh, good. Okay. Good. So uh, tell us a little bit about the basics of the ride. Well, you're literally going to be climbing a mountain. Um, this is um, our ride is called the Lost Sierra. And I'm calling this the Haskell Peak Challenge because you are going to ride up to the top of Haskell Peak. So um, I'll rate it at moderate, I would say, um, compared to other rides. It's not as extreme. There is quite a bit of elevation gain but it's kind of spread out over a few miles. It's not like totally extreme, not right at the beginning. And um, the trail doesn't have a whole lot of technical spots on it. There's not going to be a whole lot of places where you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I might die. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty mild overall compared to some other rides. So I'd rate it at moderate. Okay. And it, I see Ride Camp is about 45 miles north of Truckee and a little over an hour northwest of Reno, Nevada. Yes. It's okay. pretty easy to get to. It's not a bad drive at all from most directions. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the trail and some of the history. I see that there were stagecoach stops and settlements in those areas. Yeah, so I'll start with the ride camp. Uh, where we're going to have the ride camp is a pretty cool spot. Um, it was um, originally part of the White Sulphur Springs Ranch, and that ranch was established in 1852. So um, like most areas in California, you know, it was all settled during the gold rush. So people started coming to this region in, you know, about 1849, and this particular ranch was settled in 1852. So it's pretty cool. I think it's... Um, interesting you know it's about a if i did my math correctly it's about 170 years of horse related activities that have been taking place in mohawk valley and we're just continuing that tradition on by having an endurance ride there so i think that's kind of cool 
Um, but yeah, the ranch itself originally was a, a stagecoach stop. And it, it um, yeah, so in 1852, it started um, as a stagecoach stop and it continued being a stagecoach stop until um, about 1907. And then it turned into a bed and breakfast. So the old original ranch house is still standing. It's really cool. It's it's right next to Ride Camp. And um, so it, it's super cool. I'm hoping they're going to give us some tours of it when people come and everything. But anyway, um, so yeah, it operated as a bed and breakfast until 2003. And then um, the Mohawk Valley Stewardship Council bought it in 2010. And then they've um, continued to have it just as a historic building and they're they're doing a lot of restoration on it and everything like that so anyway it's a super cool location so we could actually uh camp there uh, on that that original ranch land um of course it's now separate so we're going to be on some private land right next to white sulfur springs ranch but um but anyway it was all originally part of the same ranch okay and, and what are the trails going to be like so the trails start off in the valley, and um, so yeah, the the uh, camp is at about forty five hundred feet. It's pretty much just under forty five hundred feet, and then the ride leaves Mohawk Valley and starts climbing up to Haskell Peak, and Haskell Peak I believe is at. Uh, just over 8,000 feet, I think. We won't go all the way to the peak of the mountain. But, uh, yeah, the ride does climb to a highest point of about 7,760 feet. And um, so, yeah, it's got a bit of elevation gain. But like I said, it's kind of spread out. It's not all at once. Okay. Is it forest trails, Jeep roads, yes. single yeah. track? Not a whole lot of single track. I'm hoping when we continue this in the future that um, we can incorporate more single track. But this ride, as it is right now, is mainly all forest service roads, old logging roads, Jeep trails, that sort of thing. So if people like to go fast, this is kind of an ideal ride for that because there's a lot of pretty uh, wide open, relatively flat spots with good footing where they can do that. So, um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's all in the trees. Um, Yeah, none of this has been recently burned, which is pretty rare for California and the West. Um, This this little corner of Plumas County has avoided wildfires. Let's hope it stays that way. So, um, anyway, it's beautiful, beautiful and green. Most of the ride will be in the shade, beautiful forest, um, amazing views once you get up top. So, it's really a pretty ride. Is there water? Yeah, there's a lot of natural springs and creeks along the way. And then, of course, we'll be trucking out water for the spots that don't have a lot of water. Well, it sounds like a terrific ride. When are you opening entries? And do you know yet what your rider number limits are going to be? Yeah, the entries will open on March 2nd at 7 a.m. And it'll be a jot form thing online. Um, yeah, I feel bad. We accidentally um, conflicted with the... Uh, the 20 mule team ride but unfortunately we already put it out that that's what our date's going to be so anyway um, people that are participating in that ride we're trying to work with them so they can still get registered um yeah we will have to cap it at 100 riders because we've had a lot of interest already and this is my first time managing a ride and also you know we're working with a landowner here and everything and so and we want to keep this as a really great experience for everyone so we don't want it to turn into a total zoo so um (laughs) anyway so of course because of space limitations and whatnot we're capping it at 50 rigs and 100 riders okay wow 
Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I hope I'll be able to fit it into my schedule. Um, yeah. If somebody wants to learn more about the ride, um, where would they go? Do you have a Facebook page? Yeah, we have a Facebook page. I'm hoping to get a website, but we don't have that going yet. But yeah, please find us on Facebook. Uh, it's Riders of the Lost Sierra. And um, we have an email and that's riderslostsierra at gmail.com. Or they can go to the AARC ride calendar. Yes. And then they, and they can find all my contact info on there. Yeah. And look up the West region. Well, thank you for joining us this morning and telling us about this new ride. And I wish you well and the best of luck. Well, thank you. Well, Karen, thank you for putting together this great show. And Merry Christmas to you and your husband and all the ponies out there. Thanks. Same to you. And uh, tell everybody where they can find the ride calendar for 2024. Go to AERC.org and look up the ride calendar. And then you can search by region or state or just pull up all the rides if you want to see what what is available out there. The good news is we are, um, are starting to get some new rides adding on added on to the calendar for 2024. So that's great. Some writers in some regions are going to have some new rides to look forward to. Very good. Well, thank you everybody for joining us and to all the endurance writers out there, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll see you all come January.